0: Welcome to Words of the Wise, an Introduction to the Book of Proverbs, by Dr. Jacques B. Ducan. Edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 4. Divine Wisdom The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. Proverbs 8, verse 22, New King James Version. At this stage in Proverbs, wisdom reappears, and it's clear that wisdom is truth, the truth as it exists in God the source and foundation of all truth. This accent on the absolute character of truth contrasts with some contemporary thinking, especially in the West, in which truth is seen as relative, contingent, cultural, with one person's truth different from someone else's. But this concept is not biblical. My truth should be the same as yours, simply because truth is universal. It does not belong to anyone in particular, but to all humanity, whether or not all humanity recognizes it. Interestingly enough, Pilate's famous question to Jesus, what is truth, came in response to Jesus' statement. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. Truth, absolute truth, exists, and it even speaks to us. What matters for us is whether or not we will listen to and obey what it is saying. Wisdom cries out What does Proverbs eight verse one through twenty one tell us about the value of wisdom? Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the paths, she crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, Understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness, there is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. According to Proverbs 8, 1-21, what is the value of wisdom? Did you hear these values? Wisdom speaks of excellent things. Wisdom always speaks truth. Wisdom always speaks in righteousness. Wisdom offers personal instruction and knowledge. Wisdom is confident that it is more valuable than rubies. Wisdom is prudent. Wisdom offers free counseling, understanding, and strength. Wisdom can be experienced, regardless of age, if it is respected, valued, and treasured. Wisdom is so important that it must reach everyone. God created all human life, and Christ died for each one of us. So wisdom, the knowledge of God and the salvation He offers, is for every human being. Look at the words used to describe wisdom's vocal presence. Cry out. Lift up her voice. Call. Voice. Speak. Opening of lips. Mouth. Words. However one understands these metaphors, what is clear is that wisdom is to be communicated. It is to be heard by all who will listen. After all, as we saw in our previous exploration, what wisdom says is a matter of life and death. Eight times, Wisdom talks about the truthfulness of her words. The description of Wisdom here, interestingly enough, parallels the portrayal of the Lord in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. This parallel, of course, should not be surprising, because God is the creator of all things and His is the foundation of all truth, as John 1, verses 1 2, 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In reading Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11, the question is, What do these verses say about wisdom? Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11 say, Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So many people have lived, and still live, in ignorance, in folly, and in darkness. Many live with no hope at all or with false hopes. What makes this sad state of affairs even sadder is that wisdom and truth are so wonderful filled with hope and promise for a better life now, and the surety of eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth, all thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus. All the wealth in the world means nothing in contrast to the knowledge of God. That is what the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, say, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and, behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun." And I turned myself to behold wisdom, and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. Continuing on to the New Testament book of Matthew, ponder how well your life reflects the crucial truth of chapter 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited, if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Wisdom and Creation. In your mind, how is wisdom related to creation? Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 31 say The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning wherever the earth was, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there, when he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he straightened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree, that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. So how can the question, how is wisdom related to creation, be answered? Did you hear when mentioned eight times, or the other time-related terms such as in the beginning, from the beginning, before, while, and then. In these texts, wisdom is mysteriously related to the Lord as the Creator. This poem shares many common words with the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and even reflects its literary structure, organized around the three basic elements of heaven, water, and earth. The intention of this parallel is to emphasize the primary credential of wisdom, if God himself used wisdom to create. If wisdom is the oldest tool, older than the universe itself, and so fundamental to its existence, we should all the more use wisdom in everything we do in life. There is also a strong emphasis on the divine origin of wisdom. The first word of the poem is the Lord, Yahweh, who is said to have begotten wisdom. The Hebrew word, kana, translated as possessed, the New King James Version has the connotation of begetting rather than creating. That is the way the word kana is used in Deuteronomy 32 verse 6 in the New King James Version, which says, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father who bought you? Has He not made you and established you? And in Genesis 4 verse 1 also says in the New King James Version, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The next word is the technical word that is associated with the Genesis creation, Rashith, the word for beginning in Hebrew, which is found in the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, Rashith, God created the heaven and the earth. Yet the word beginning in Proverbs 8.22 is used somewhat differently than it is in Genesis 1. In Genesis one, the word is related to the creation itself, while in Proverbs 8.22, the word is related to God Himself, to His way, which means His nature. Thus, wisdom is part of the very nature of God Himself. Wisdom, therefore, is situated in time even before the creation of the universe. The existence of wisdom, at that time when only God was present, traces the antiquity of wisdom from everlasting. So, wisdom does not originate in us, but rather is revealed to us. It is something that we learn, something that is taught to us. It is not what we generate out of ourselves. Surely, to walk in our own light is to walk in darkness. We are told that Jesus is the true light which gives light to every man. John 1 9, New King James Version. Every man needs it too. Rejoicing in creation. In Genesis 1, we see that each step of the creation concludes with the same refrain. God saw that it was good. We can read his assessments in Genesis chapter 1, verses 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 25, and 31. The last step, verse 31, goes even further. It was very good. The Hebrew word for good contains the idea of enjoyment. And it also implies relationship. At the end of the whole creation week, God pauses to fully enjoy his creation. Genesis 2, 1-3 The time of this pause, the Sabbath, is blessed. Likewise, our poem concludes with wisdom enjoying the creation. Why was wisdom rejoicing? Proverbs 8, verses 30 and 31 provide a glimpse of wisdom's relationship with the creation. Then I was by him. As one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Wisdom's rejoicing reflects God's rejoicing at creation. This rejoicing not only happens daily, at each step of creation, but also crowns the work of creation when the creation of life on earth itself was completed. In Proverbs 8, we find the reason for wisdom's rejoicing. My delight was with the sons of men. Verse 31, New King James Version. At the end of creation week on Sabbath, God entered into a relationship with humans. The immediate application of this divine pause and rejoicing after the work of the week has implications for the human experience of Sabbath. In the book entitled The Sabbath in Scripture and History, written by Dr. Kenneth A. Strand, published by Review and Herald Publishing Association, in 1982. On page 23, he quotes Dr. Gerhard F. Hazel, who wrote what the Sabbath experience offers us today. Following the pattern of the Creator, he too may look back upon his finished work with joy, pleasure, and satisfaction. In this way, man may rejoice not only in God's creation, but also in his responsible rulership not exploitation over creation. What do these next four verses tell us about Jesus' role in the creation itself? Why is his role as creator so important in understanding his role as our redeemer? The first text is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and and invisible, whether they be thrones, or dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him, and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. The second text is Colossians 2, verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The third text is Revelation 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The final text is John 1, verses 1-14. through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, What was Jesus' role in the creation itself? Verse 10 says that Jesus created the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. His role as Creator is so important in understanding His role as our Redeemer. Wisdom's appeal. The last few verses of Proverbs 8 return to the personal and to the practical application of what it means to have wisdom. By contrast, the intellectual knowledge about wisdom's pre existence, about wisdom's presence at creation, is certainly deep. But in the Bible, truth must always at some point come down to the human level and how we respond to what we have been given in Jesus. Think about Proverbs 8, verses 32 through 36. What life-and-death message can be detected in these verses? Now, therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favour with the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, All they that hate me love death. What life and death message did you hear in these verses? One could say that these verses reveal that our ultimate destiny is affected or based upon whether we love Jesus or not. Verse 35 tells us that Whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. So finding Jesus results in life, while hating Jesus we hurt ourselves and love death. The Hebrew word translated as blessed, the word used in the New King James Version, means happy, according to the Revised Standard Version. In this passage, the word blessed is attached to two propositions. The first one describes an action. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Verse 32, New King James Version. The same language is used in Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2, in regard to the law. Blessed are the undefiled who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. New King James Version. The second one describes an attitude. Blessed is the man who listens to me. Verse 34, New King James Version. In both cases, the requirement implies a continuous effort. It is not enough to have discovered the right way. We have to keep it. It is not enough to hear the word of God. We have to watch daily and follow what we know. As Jesus put it, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Luke 11 verse 28, New King James Version.
1: Is this a happiness desirable which is to be found in the path of disobedience and transgression of physical and moral law? Christ's life points out the true source of happiness and how it is to be attained. If they would be happy indeed, they should cheerfully seek to be found at the post of duty. Doing the work which devolves upon them with fidelity, conforming their hearts and lives to the perfect pattern." Those were
0: the words that Ellen G. White wrote, and are found in the small, inspirational book entitled, My Life Today, page 162. Happiness can be an elusive thing. The more we strive for it, the harder it seems for us to attain it. Why should faithfulness to God, as opposed to the pursuit of happiness, be our first priority? Besides, which is more likely to produce happiness? Seeking happiness or seeking first the kingdom of God? Following wisdom's appeal, the inspired author of Proverbs 9 urges his audience to make a choice now between two lifestyles, wisdom or folly. The first and last six verses of Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 6, and verses 13 through 18, are symmetrical and bring out the contrast between the opposite camps. Let's compare the two sets of Bible texts Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and Proverbs 9, 13 through 18. The question which we will try to answer is, what is the difference between wisdom and folly? Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, as for him that wanteth understanding she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live, and go in the way of understanding. That was wisdom. Now we hear about folly, in Proverbs 9, verses 13-18. through A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways, whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Firstly, in verses 1 to 3, wisdom is efficient and is involved in creation. Seven verbs are used to describe her actions in those verses. The seven pillars she has hewn, verse 1, allude to the seven days of creation. Folly, on the other hand, sits and does nothing, just pretending to be someone, when in fact verse 13, in the New King James Version, describes folly in this way. She is simple and knows nothing. Secondly, although wisdom and folly call the same audience in identical ways, in verse 4 and 16, what they provide is essentially different. Verse 5 tells us that wisdom invites her guests to eat the bread and drink the drink that she has prepared. Verse 17 says that folly offers nothing to eat or drink. She simply boasts about stolen provisions. Thirdly, wisdom calls us to forsake foolishness and therefore to live. Folly is more tolerant. She does not demand that we forsake anything, but the result is death. Those who follow wisdom will be advancing. Verse six in the New King James Version: They will go in the way of understanding. Later in the same chapter, those who follow folly will be ecstatic, and they will not know. Proverbs nine verse seven through nine describes how the wise man and the wicked man respond to the instruction of wisdom. What makes the wise man wiser than the wicked man? Proverbs nine verses seven through nine say: He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. A wise person welcomes strong correction. They are teachable. The key to wisdom is humility. The wise man is the man who is teachable, and responds to instruction with an open mind. Wisdom comes only to the one who, like a child, feels the need to grow. This is why, in the most explicit manner, Jesus taught that unless you become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's continue exploring.
1: Is this a happiness desirable which is to be found in the path of disobedience and transgression of physical and moral law? Christ's life points out the true source of happiness and how it is to be attained. If they would be happy indeed, they should cheerfully seek to be found at the post of duty, doing the work which devolves upon them with fidelity, conforming their hearts and lives to the perfect pattern.
0: Continuing reading, page 34 of the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, by Ellen G. White.
1: Christ, the Word, the only begotten of God, was one with the Eternal Father, one in nature, in character, in purpose, the only being that could enter into all the counsels and purposes of God. And the Son of God declares concerning Himself, in portions of Proverbs 8, verses 22-30, to The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, when He appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by Him, and one brought up with Him, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him.
0: Spending some introspective time, consider eleven relevant questions and sub-questions. Pause your device after each question. Think through all the ramifications of your thought responses. Why is belief in the Genesis creation account the foundation of biblical wisdom? Why is the idea of evolution contrary to the Bible in every way? What do you think about the idea that true wisdom is something that we cannot generate by ourselves, but that must be revealed to us? What would that imply about who is the wisest? In your life, what are some examples of important truths that you would never know other than their being revealed by divine inspiration. For instance, how could you know about Christ's death on the cross and what it offers you were it not revealed? What about the seventh-day Sabbath or the second coming? How does God's work, as revealed in Genesis 1, testify to the fact that good cannot be mixed with evil? In other words, in Genesis 1, we only read of God's good and very good creations. So what does that imply about evil? What implications does your answer have for the idea that one could, for instance, incorporate an evolutionary worldview into the Genesis creation story? If you were to acknowledge that there are two broad categories in the universe, good and evil, in which category would you place evolution? Having decided that, How does that influence your thinking about incorporating an evolutionary worldview into the Genesis creation story? How does God's enjoyment of the creation help us to understand how we can have a deeper and richer Sabbath experience?
1: Ambassadorgroup.org